Hello and welcome to Mr. President from otrgold.com. This episode will begin after a brief message from our sponsors. Mr. President, starring Metro-Goldwyn-Mayer's Edward Arnold. Mr. President, at home in the White House, the elected leader of our people, our fellow citizen and neighbor. These are little-known stories of the men who've lived in the White House. Dramatic, exciting events in their lives that you and I so rarely hear. True human stories of Mr. President. In just a moment, you'll hear Edward Arnold as Mr. President. But first, see if you recognize this president. During his term of office, a resident of Worcester, Massachusetts, a Syrian by birth, was in the process of becoming a citizen of the United States. This man's wife and children arrived at Ellis Island. The immigration service said the children had trachoma, an infectious eye disease. The service refused to admit the youngsters, although their mother was permitted to enter. Finally, the father appealed directly to the president, who ordered a special medical examination. The eye trouble the children had was not trachoma after all, and the family was happily reunited. Do you know which president that was? Well, it was rough, warm-hearted Theodore Roosevelt. Now listen to this detailed story of a chief executive and see if you can guess which president it was. In just a moment, Edward Arnold. Edward Arnold as Mr. President. Let's visit him in the White House. It is Sunday, and the old mansion is resting quietly after a busy week. We walk through the great doors under the presidential seal, across the foyer, and down the long hall to the president's study. Oh, hello. Come in and sit down, won't you? You know, if there's one man that seems to create myths about himself, it's the president of the United States. Wild tales circulate, grow, and with tiny bits of tiny, tiny bases, in fact, become part of the legend of the White House. Well, they certainly made up a legend about me. Now we're going to tell you the true version, the historical facts of a very famous story. Later on, I'll tell you which president this happened to, but meanwhile, you may be able to guess. It was wartime, the first year of the war. Our citizen army had been called to the colors in a grave national emergency, and almost at once, boys from every sort of home found themselves in a life in which they were completely unfamiliar. This, of course, led to trouble, and soon my desk was piled high with the papers relating to their cases. One afternoon, Miss Sarah came into the executive office. Mr. President. Yes, Miss Sarah. Mr. Stanton is here. Oh, what's on his mind? Well, he said you sent for him. Oh, did I? You see what the pressure of work does to the President of the United States makes him forget why he sent for the Secretary of War? It wouldn't have had to do with the pardons, would it, sir? Miss Sarah, it just might. Uh, thank you. So let's have Mr. Stanton in. Tomorrow is butcher day, and I want to see if I can find some excuse to let these poor fellows off. Yes, sir. Mr. Stanton, the president will see you now. Thank you, Sarah. 
Good afternoon, Mr. President. Good afternoon, Ed. Sit down, won't you? Thank you. Ed, how many cases of desertion, cowardice, spies, and that sort of thing have we had in this war so far? I'm afraid I don't have the exact figures with me, sir. Do you have an approximate idea? Well, just an estimate. After all, the number of cases isn't important. Look here, Ed. I know why you don't want to tell me, but you're going to tell me just the same. Now, what's the figure? Very well. It's in the neighborhood of 30,000. 30,000? Good heavens. That's at least two divisions. I'm afraid so. And if you'd had your way, we'd have killed off two divisions with firing squads. We might have a better army, sir. Now you sound like some of our generals, Ed. They know their business, Mr. President. I hope so. Although sometimes when I see how far the war is going, I'm not so sure. However, the law makes the disposition of the final appeals of condemned soldiers my business. And my business is mercy, Ed. Yes, sir. And if you'll pardon me and a small play on words, there are times when you ought to temper mercy with justice, Mr. President. You're probably very right. So let's see if we can make that idea operate in these cases, Ed. I've got to have them out of the way before tomorrow. As you wish, sir. Now, here's one. A young man who joined the enemy became disgusted with him, deserted, ran away. And when he reached home, was arrested as an enemy spy. Sentence? That same firing squad. We've had a dozen cases like that, sir. But this looks like the exception. Well, they all look like exceptions. That's what makes them good spies. Uh-huh. A number of people have entered special pleas in this case, Ed. This is wartime, Mr. President. Can we afford to take chances? I wonder now. If we take the chance, we stand to lose very little. If we don't take the chance, this man will never have another. You're approving the sentence, Mr. President? No, I'm not. You see, if a man had more than one life, I think a little hanging wouldn't hurt. But if a man is dead, we can't bring him back, no matter how sorry we may be. Pardons granted. Here's one I happen to know intimately, Mr. President. This man threw away his gun during an attack and hid behind a tree stump. His conduct in battle broke up his platoon so badly the enemy almost succeeded in driving a deep wedge in our lines. He has no living relatives and his conduct as soldier. This, this man is a thief. He stole from the men in his outfit while they were out on duty. None too pleasant a person, is he? Decidedly not, and one that fits all your qualifications for punishment, sir. He admits his guilt. He has no relatives to mourn him. He's not fit to be in the service. Frankly, this man will serve his country better dead than living. Mm, Well, yes, perhaps. But I think I'll have to change the sentence from death to imprisonment. Mr. President, I've been getting dozens of communications from high-ranking officers. And every one of them complains about your wholesale interference in these cases. I've, I've got to protest, sir. The army itself is endangered. Mercy to the few is cruelty to the many. Ed, I can't do it. There are already too many weeping widows in the United States, for heaven's sake. Don't ask me to add to their number, because I won't do it. Miss Sarah? Miss Sarah? Miss Sarah! But, Sarah, what's the meaning of this? I call you twice and I find you surrounded by uniforms with young men in them. Well, well I'm terribly sorry, Mr. President. I'm, uh, that is, well, these young men won't take no for an answer. And why should no be the answer? Well, they're a sort of delegation, sir, and I knew you didn't want to be disturbed with all the work on your desk. Mr. President, I... 
We're from Company K, 3rd Vermont, sir. And you are? David Hawthorne, 1st Sergeant, sir. Well, what can I do for you? It's about Bill Scott, sir. Uh, Private William Scott, that is, sir. What about Private Bill Scott? He's to be shot, sir, for sleeping on sentry duty, sir. Oh, not another one. Bill's from our hometown, Mr. President. He wasn't really careless, sir. Well, suppose you tell me the whole story, Sergeant. Well, sir, Bill and two other fellows were ordered on guard duty at the chain bridge, sir. They did four hours on and then eight hours off around the clock. The first night they were on duty, the officer of the guard came around and all three were asleep. It was Bill's turn to stay awake and he was arrested and the court-martial sentenced him to be shot. But he's only been in the army a few weeks, sir. And he's used to going to sleep and getting up with the chickens. This business of staying awake at night, Bill isn't used to it, Mr. President. It's not his fault. I understand that, Sergeant. I did some farming myself when I was your age. What do you want me to do? Would you pardon him this time, sir? Well, I'll have to know more about your private Scott and about the case, Sergeant. We'll all vouch for him, sir. He's a good soldier, the best. It doesn't seem right for a man to lose his life just because he fell asleep when he was tired. Sergeant, are all Vermonters as good at pleading a case as you are? Well, I... That is, I can't say, sir. Mm-hmm, I see. Now, tell me, Sergeant, what other methods have you, have you used to help Private Scott? Well, his sentence has been appealed, sir, all the way up to General McClellan. And there's a petition circulating in the regiment, sir. Mm-hmm. Well, this is my advice. Keep that petition going for a few days yet, because as long as the matter hasn't been taken care of at headquarters, there's still time. Get as many officers to sign it as you can. <laughs> I understand that generals usually pay more attention to the signatures of the officers. <laughs> and uh, you, sir, that is, if I may... Is there anything you can do personally? Well, uh, believe it or not, Sergeant, I find myself treading softly these days. Direct interference is something in which the President can't indulge himself. However, I promise I'll keep the matter in mind. Now, you go back to your regiment and keep working on that petition. At the moment, that seems to be the best action that can be taken. Yeah. Glad I'm getting another look at you, Dave. Hey, what's the matter with you, fella? You look beat. I am. Well, get a hold of yourself. I've got news. We saw the president. So he signed a pardon and everybody lives happily ever after and the good fairy waved her wand and all was well. Now, don't talk like that. The president can't interfere directly. Naturally. But he told us to keep the petition going. He said as long as the case hadn't been reviewed yet at GHQ, we had time. Well, Billy. Well... You really think there's a chance, Dave? Honest? Honest. It's not so much what he said. It's how he said it. Well, if you'd have heard him, Bill, you'd, you'd know what I mean. The president is... Oh, he's like us, Bill. I think he's regular. I... I want to hope, Dave. I keep thinking how proud the whole town was when we went away. Ma wanted to cry, but she didn't. Pa was so fit to bust his buttons. Well, I... I want them all to be proud of me, Dave. So I've been pretty careful about hoping. Now I I don't dare let myself think everything's going to be all right and then have it turn out wrong. Mr. President, you've done it again. What have I done again, Miss Sorrow? Mr. Stanton is outside fuming that... 
enemy raider that you call Oh, yes, yes, yes. Well, let's have him in, Miss Sarah, and get it over with. All right, Mr. Stanton. Mr. President. Yes, Ed, I know, I know. It's got to stop, sir. You're destroying discipline. Now you're forgiving the enemy. Well, his wife was on our side, Ed, and there are children. What could I do? She cried so much when I signed the pardon, I think maybe she's sorry that she has him back. General McClellan is furious. When word of this gets out to the men in the field, as it's bound to, the effect will be so bad that I, for one, don't know how to describe it. Sometimes, Ed, I think you don't understand the men in the field. Well, sometimes, Mr. President, I think it's you who doesn't understand the men in the field. You have a way of idealizing them, sir, that that takes you rather far from the truth. Have I, Ed? Mm, maybe. In any case, sir, the Army intends to keep the review of these cases out of your hands as far as possible. I see. You know, Ed, I'm the fellow in the middle again. I can see both sides of this. You know, it's like the Scotchman who said of the beheaded nobleman, it was only the small matter of his head, but it was valuable to him. Poor fellow. It was the only head he had. <laughs> well, I'll do my best to keep out of these matters, Ed. But frankly, sometimes I wonder what I'm doing here. The fellow who couldn't strangle a chicken with blood all around me. Well, time will tell, I guess. Time will tell. Dave, you got an answer? Well, not exactly. I, um, uh, I came to tell you that Old Baldy signed the petition himself. General Smith? Yeah, we went to him and reminded him he'd been colonel with us not so long ago. He signed it. Who's got it now? It's going through channels. Channels? More red tape. You're in the army, Billy. And don't I know it. Dave, can't they hurry it up? Can't they get the papers to McClellan? Even if it's bad news, I want to know it. Easy, easy. They'll get there. Oh, it's the waiting, Dave. It's the sitting here in my hands and waiting. It's the not knowing... They just come in and say, tomorrow morning, soldier, at sunrise, it wouldn't be half as bad as waiting and not knowing and, and then waiting some more. How long can a day be, Dave? I know it's not as long as the nights. In just a moment, we'll come back to Edward Arnold and Mr. President. Thirty days hath September. Yes, and each one of those thirty days, America's observing youth month. The future of our country depends on the youth of today. Every young American should proudly realize the vital part he has to play in building his nation and in keeping it free. That's why we adults can't afford to neglect young America. We must see that each boy and each girl receives the greatest possible opportunity to make himself and herself into a happy, useful citizen. This is an important job for every American adult. Now, here are a few things parents can do to help young Americans live better. Make your home your child's home, or your child's school, his teachers, his playmates. As a parent, as a good American adult, participate in Youth Month, now being observed throughout September in every part of our nation. Now back to Edward Arnold and Mr. President. Perhaps you've already guessed which president this happened to. But wait and see if you're right. Although I hadn't forgotten Private William Scott of Company K, 3rd Vermonters, the pressure of work did put his case back in my mind. 
and the pressure of another sort from the Army and the War Department by way of Ed Stanton, my Secretary of War, did make me extremely reluctant to intervene. Then a few days after Ed Stanton's last visit, a Major Robert Martin of the 3rd Vermont came to see me. I'm on my way to General McClellan's headquarters, sir, ah, with this. I see. His petition for the pardon of one Private William Scott Company K. Hmm, there's quite a number of signatures on this, Major. Your Sergeant Hawthorne did a good job. Yes, sir. With a little help from the commissioned officers, too. <laughs> you Green Mountain fellows stick together, don't you? <laughs> we do, sir. Ever since the days of Ethan Allen, Mr. President. Ah, that's the spirit, that's the spirit. I think this petition may have some effect on General McClellan, Major. We hope so, sir. If I may, Mr. President. Certainly, Major. We, that is, General Smith concurs in the opinion among some of our brother officers that if your signature were appended to this paper, sir... <laughs> you really want to get me in hot water, don't you? <laughs> I'm sorry, sir. If I've said anything, I shouldn't have. <laughs> well, frankly, many sir, I'd enjoy signing this petition. I might enjoy even more seeing General McClellan's face when he found my handwriting scrawled among the other specimens of penmanship. Then you will sign it, sir? Uh, Major, the president can do many things, but not everything. I can pardon a man after his case has been reviewed, but I can't legally sign a petition pertaining to that review. My apologies, Mr. President. Oh, for heaven's sake, Major. There's no need for apologies. I should apologize for not being able to sign. I should be honored to have my name among the names of good soldiers from Vermont. But I can't do it. And believe me, Major... I'm sorry from the bottom of my heart. Uh, very well, gentlemen. Uh, if that is the last piece of business for the day, the cabinet stands adjourned. Good evening, gentlemen. Good evening, Mr. President. Mr. President, a word in private, if you have a moment. Oh, good grief, Ed. It's past ten o'clock. None of us have had any dinner yet. What would keep? Only a moment, sir. Oh, all right, Ed. What have I done now? I've had a most urgent and private memorandum from General McClellan, sir. Well, go on, Ed. There are some cases coming up for review, which he certain will come to your desk eventually. And he begs that I impress upon you the necessity of upholding the Army's disposition of these cases. Yes, yes, I understand. If you'll pardon me, sir, I feel you're hardly listening. On the contrary, Ed. If I seem preoccupied, it's because you have reminded me of a most urgent matter. I'll take the General's memorandum under advisement. Will you excuse me a moment? Oh, Miss Sarah, where's my hat and coat? In the usual place, Mr. President... Oh, you're not going out now with no dinner. Miss Sarah, I believe it's customary to wear a hat and coat only in the out-of-doors. And as for dinner, well, have a moment over for my breakfast, because I have a most important visit to make. But I should be back, uh, oh, by breakfast time. Mr. President, this is a most unexpected honor, sir. Unexpected, yes, General McClellan. The honor part would seem dubious to some of our citizens, I'm sure. Sit down, sir. Uh, may I offer you something? No, 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 thank you. Not just now. Look here, General. I think I owe you an apology. You owe me, sir? Yes, for interfering in your disciplinary procedure so often. Stanton brought it to my mind a little while ago. I don't think apology is quite the word, Mr. President. After all, you are my commander-in-chief. And a rather chicken-hearted fellow with that, eh, General? Well, let's not put it that way, sir. How then? Let's just say that certain military procedures are repugnant to civilians. Mm-hmm. And I, of course, am a civilian. Yes, sir. 
But so are the vast majority of the men in our army. Although we do fight like the Dickens when we have to. That we do, Mr. President. In that light, then, you see, I am of the opinion that military justice needs to be tempered with civilian mercy from time to time. I understand your point of view, sir. Then I trust you will understand my mission here tonight. Not another presidential pardon, Mr. President. Well, not exactly. I'm trying to make the civilian mind follow military procedure, and yet I... I should hate to see a life lost when it seems unnecessary. And the case you have in mind, sir. You received a petition today, I believe, in the matter of Private William Scott, Company K, 3rd Vermont. Oh, that? Yes. I'm rather interested in the case. It seems rather typical. It is, sir. That an example must be made once and for all. I know, I know. Certainly, I don't wish to supersede your wishes. It's just that, well... I'd like to see that boy really have a chance to serve his country. Well, so would I, sir, but uh, Mm, I don't know. You might, if you wish, take into consideration that the lady president requested your particular interest. Did she, Mr. President? Well, uh, General, we used to say when I was a boy that would be telling. (laughs) Will you take this under advisement, General? Well, sir, as you're here unofficially, I cannot give you any official reply, of course, but... I can say unofficially that the uh, lady president's request will be given due consideration in the case of Private William Scott, Company K, 3rd Vermont. Regiment on parade assembled, issued over the signature of General George B. McQuillan. In the case of Private William T. Scott, K Company, 3rd Vermont, the good character of Private Scott has been amply attested by the petition forwarded to General Headquarters, together with the appeal that the sentence be rescinded. And the President of the United States has expressed a wish that mercy be extended. This fact, viewed in connection with the good conduct of the condemned, has determined the General to grant the pardon so earnestly prayed for. Private William Scott is herewith ordered back to his company without prejudice. Regiment Smith! Welcome. Was the waiting worth it after all? Oh, what a question. I'm alive. I'm, I'm free without prejudice. Oh, I can stand up straight again. You're a lucky kid. I'm lucky because I've got friends who'll fight for me. I know one friend you've got, Billy, whom you've never met face-to-face. Yeah. You know, I've been thinking, maybe I ought to write him a letter. (laughs) Sort of a thank-you note, maybe? I've got plenty to thank him for, haven't I? And how? But what could you say? Thanks for saving my life? Yeah, something like that. Maybe if I did write to him, maybe I could say, well, dear Mr. President, You've given me life all over again. That makes you sort of like a second father, I guess, and I don't know exactly how to say thank you, but I can promise you this, that from now on, I'll make the most of the life you've given to me, as long as the good Lord permits me. Sincerely and respectfully yours, William Scott. These bills from Congress in this pile, sir. 
I thought that if you weren't too tired, you might have a chance to read them upstairs this evening. No, I'm always too tired, Miss no, This job, even in peacetime, isn't easy. Excuse me. Well, I'm through for the day except for my homework tonight. Yes, sir, you are. Well, come now, Miss Sarah. I know that tone. Well, well, there is this letter, Mr. President. Who? Who? Major Robert Martin, third remark. Oh, yes, yes, yes. It came to me during that rumpus over the Scott boy. <laughs> you know, Miss Sarah, the more I think of that case, the more certain I am that George McClellan and Bolly Smith never meant to shoot him in the first place. Just an example to the army. You know, that was a nice letter from the Scott boy, though. Yes, sir. Aren't you going to read the letter from the Major, Mr. President? Mm. Oh, yes, yes, of course. Where are my glasses, please? Mm -hmm. Here they are, sir. Mm, thank you. Let's see. Uh, dear Mr. President, I'm taking the liberty of informing you because of your generous interest in William Scott in the past. This private Scott has proven himself worthy of your action in his favor. At the recent Battle of Lee's Mill, Private Scott was the first man to reach the enemy's defenses in our charge. Receiving six wounds in the fight. The young man to whom you gave a life has given back that life in the service of his country. Respectfully yours. Hmm. Miss Sarah, will you inquire concerning the boy's relatives? I want to write to them. Yes, sir, of course. And, uh, you know, Miss Sarah... Sometimes I wonder why it is so difficult for so many people to learn the simple things like mercy. Well, you've probably figured out by now who I was when all this happened. It really did happen, you know, and I'll tell you the answer in just a moment. Another great dramatic event is again yours every Sunday night over the American Broadcasting Company. It's the Theater Guild on the air, starring great performers and outstanding dramatic hits. For the fourth season, ABC presents Theater Guild on the air for your entertainment every Sunday night. When the curtain goes up, you'll hear from celebrities of stage and screen and successful plays that have been especially adapted for radio. Yes, this year... Theater Guild will continue to present the finest actors in the finest plays. So reserve your radio aisle seat for Theater Guild on the air every Sunday night over most of these ABC stations. Now, here again is Edward Arnold. Now you've heard the historical facts of the case of Private William Scott and President Abraham Lincoln. And think of this a moment. When you consider the way people loved Lincoln, it becomes very clear why the legends about him are so many. Francis de Janvier wrote an epic poem about the case called The Sleeping Soldier, and the people eagerly recited it and on every possible occasion. The legend grew. It told of the president visiting Scott in the guardhouse. It told of the boy's promise to be a brave man. It told how Lincoln drove madly from the White House to the place of execution to save Scott just as the firing squad leveled their rifles. And it told of Scott speaking of the president with his last breath. 
truly a legend that had its roots in the love of the people for a great president. Now you can judge for yourself how far from the facts that legend is. But nothing will ever controvert the fact that the gentle president always did his utmost to temper military justice with civilian mercy. Come and see me again next week, won't you? I'll have another story for you then. I'm sure you'll enjoy. Goodbye. by arrangement with Metro-Goldwyn-Mayer, producers of Julia Misbehaves, starring Greer Garson and Walter Pigeon. <laughs> Mr. President was created by Robert G. Jennings. It is produced and directed by Leonard Reed. Miss Sarah was played by Betty Lucas. This story by Ira Marion was suggested by incidents in the life of President Abraham Lincoln. Music was composed and conducted by Basil Adlam. Be sure to listen again next week when the American Broadcasting Company and its affiliated stations bring you Edward Arnold with another interesting and factual story of Mr. President. This is ABC, the American Broadcasting Company.